Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, everyone. This is Hugh Ballou, founder and president of Center Vision Leadership Foundation. And this is episode 320-something, I think, 22, 23 of the Nonprofit Exchange. We started eight years ago, and we've never had somebody just like we've had today. And I can say that every week because we have lots of unique people, but it gets better. And today, we're going to talk about creating energy so that people want to work together. And you're the leader. It's about leadership. It's about scaling. It's about building a team around you and a lot more than that, but the essential things. My guest today is a new friend, Jen Duplessis. And Jen, tell people a little bit about who you are and, and what's your background in talking about leadership today and why do you do it? Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. And hi, everybody. Glad that you're watching us and, and sharing this out into the world and playing it forward, right? Uh, yeah, you know, I have spent 40 years in the financial services industry, so I come from corporate America, but I've also been an entrepreneur during that entire time. Um, we have real estate, we have real estate holdings, um, I have a uh, real estate or mortgage consulting firm, and I also have a flourishing speaking and mentoring and mastermind business, you know, coaching, uh, writing books. I also have my own podcast. I have two of them and I have a television show as well called Tell Me I Can't. And so, um, you know, through all that corporate world and especially as a woman, you know, I was really raised in this. I started at 19 years old while I was in college and, uh, you know, just the rest is history. But I, you know, excelled, became a national sales manager, a, a national um, regional, you know, manager. So I've had all of these leadership positions. And of course, I wasn't really surrounded with anyone who had leadership skills. So they were really you know, boots on the ground, just learn as I go type of thing until, you know, one day I was able to get into a lot of leadership uh, coaching programs and that was helpful. But, you know, what really changed everything for me from a leadership perspective was that um, I really wanted to find a way to work four hours a week and still do the business I was doing. And that required that I became a leader. So it wasn't just the knowledge around it, but became it required that I build a team around me. Um, and I stumbled and fell and had successes. And and now, you know, this is what I teach to, to other people and I share with other people is how to step out of your own way so that you can really succeed. Step out of your own way and out of the way of the people that you're trying to lead. That's right here. You got a powerful sound bite when we're just starting up. So, so Jen, you have this, uh, your montage is mindset plus mechanics equals momentum. Would you say more about that? Sure. So, you know, I, again, coming from financial services, everything for me, you know, we had to all be professional. And I, many people that are in financial services, men and women alike, we're all just very professional. We have this shell around us that, you know, we don't need any help. We don't want to look weak because, you know, that would be bad. And so I thought it was all about the mechanics. You know, I'll just be a student of my industry. I'll understand everything about it. Um, I'll learn new tactics, new sales skills, 
skills, new management skills, uh, personality traits of people. I, I'll just do all the mechanics. And when I retired or transitioned, some people laugh at me when I say that. Um, but when I transitioned out of you know the corporate world and into um, full blown entrepreneurship, you know, in the realm I'm in now, about five years ago, I was miserable piece, and that was mindset. You um corporate atmosphere work every day to being an entrepreneur your work is not your business your job is to grow your business and build your business so that others can work and i didn't realize that until a couple of years and i said oh gosh you know a mindset work as well and really changing my mindset and doing i i call it it you know inner and outer space right <laughs> inner and outer space in order to have the outer space work better i needed to work on that inner space and so when i combined those i realized wow this is where the acceleration really starts when i can um, realize that delegating is a better way to go as an entrepreneur but even if you're not an entrepreneur um, we have to educate and uh, empower our team members, no matter who you are as a leader, we have to educate and empower our team members to make choices and decisions based on the leadership we have with them, not covet or suppress them or covet what we know or suppress them, you know, and making sure they have to come to mom and dad to make all the decisions. So I realized that that was a shift for me and boom, everything just started growing you know, for me. So here I am, you know, four or four and a half, five years in here, I'm already at seven figures in just this line of work. And not to mention all the other business I have, right? So I realized, wow, but be careful, you better be prepared, because when it happens, you have other challenges, right? That's what scaling is all about. <laughs> That's the title um, of our interview today. It's called Smart Scaling. And then you go on and you mess with it a little yeah. bit for for sanity. Now, whoever said entrepreneurs had sanity for our nonprofit leaders, but we <laughs> let's pretend that we do. Smart scaling. Talk about yeah. that. You, you just mentioned it. I didn't want to let that pass by. Yeah, yeah. So the reason I coined it smart scaling is because people talk about, and I'll challenge this with you, although you and I've had a conversation, and people always say, stop working in your business and work what? On your business. Huh? Right. Yes. So I think stop working in and on your business and let's start working above and beyond your business. That's what true smart scaling is to me. And I think that, um, you know, obviously when we're in our business, everything is about us, right? Me, 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 everything comes to us, we make all the decisions, we do all the work, we you know, and it's work. And then we start working on our business. We take one day, like a CEO day, right? To work on our business. We hope, we hope everybody's doing that, working on your business, but it's only one little piece of it. And then we're back in again. And so for me, that seems you're tethered into the, in your business all the time. So I'd rather cut those ties and move to above my business, hire a killer team that's absolutely empowered and and rather than enabled right so that i can go do the in the things that i love to do have more impact have more joy in what we're doing serve people better and beyond is can i leave that business and start another if that's what i want to do or can i leave that business 
and go live my life. So that's that's what smart scaling is. I think people scale, but is there a purpose behind it and is there intention and where you want to go with it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, delegation is one of the biggest mm. challenges in my 34 years of working with leaders. It's And I work with corporate leaders and nonprofit leaders, and our audience today is nonprofit leaders and clergy. Um, but we're all in the this, this same envelope of being an influencer and impacting people's lives and yeah. building, as you as you just talked about, this power team around us. But delegation seems to be very elusive for people. What, what do you think about that? Yeah. Well, I think that we, there's a couple of things. I think that we think that we can do it better than anybody, but just the law of diminishing return pops in. Right. And, you know, so where we once could handle everything as as people grow and and to speak to your clergy, right, as your parish grows, as your your uh, attendance grows and your activities grow, all of those things start growing. You can't be everywhere and be everything to everyone all the time. And so we have to realize that what we have to do is share what's in our head and and the methodology. And this is where that that mechanics comes in, right? We have to share that methodology and and those mechanics to other people so that we can be freed up to um, come go above the hurricane, so to speak, right? Sometimes we get so involved in that hurricane, we don't really see it. So we have to rise above it and be able to get where, where are the challenges, where are the weaknesses so that you can tap into the weaknesses and build a systematic approach to um, hiring someone to do that work um, and get those processes out of our head and onto paper. So what ends up happening is that where we once could do everything really well because it was a small thing that we were doing, we now don't even, when we look in the mirror, we still see ourselves as being that perfect person, but we're not. We've now diminished down to maybe 40%. When now we have holes in our system, we have things that are missing, um, things are falling through the cracks. Uh, we have procrastination because we don't have time to get to it now. And I think one of the key words So that's the first part. One of the key words is when you say, I don't have enough time, or you find that you're working longer hours, that's the sign that it's time to hire more people and make sure that you have um, everything written down, everything that you need to teach them uh, written down so that you can give that to them and not be in the business, but on the business. And, and I can talk about time too, but I'll, I'll just leave it at there for right now. I think that's one of the biggest challenges. We see ourselves as being that perfection that we used to be when, when it was small and we can't be when it's large. We can, we can only bring on more people to delegate, but if you don't have that process out of your head, then it's harder to delegate. It's easier to say, well, just give it to me. I know what to do. Well, that's enabling people. Let's give it to them and empower them to do it. Absolutely. In the, in, the, in the words of uh, Murray Bowen, who created Bowen Family Systems, but it's a leadership system. And there's eight concepts. And in, in those, he talks about over-functioning and the reciprocity to over-functioning, which you just described, is under-functioning. Yeah. So the more you do, the less other people are going to do. And we're famous in nonprofits, yeah. all of us getting great boards, but then not letting them do what they can do or what we want them to do. So a lot of the stuff you just identified is absolutely essential. And I want to point out when they, we're talking about business principles, but guess what? You're running a for-purpose business when you're running a 501c3. 
we call it a nonprofit, but that's really a dumb word. It's it's really a tax exempt business. And so that's got a lot of rules, but right. it has all the rules of the business first. And then you've got the extra set of rules for a nonprofit. So scaling, we don't think we want to have this big international organization, but scaling is more important than we realize. And so you talk about smart scaling and you have four steps for that process. Right. And I just talked about this too, is working in your business, on your business, above and beyond business. And the key thing that, about that is that when you're in the above your business stage, right, we're, we're no longer doing everything ourselves. We have somewhat of a team around us and we're met. Um, so it's called the me stage, right? The me stage is the end stage. And then the on stage is the methodology or the mechanics. You're managing all of the process and procedures. And, and the reason I say that you're tethered, right, that you're tethered to that is because we haven't trained people what those methods are. We just have them in our heads. We've got to get them out on paper before they're hired. Um, and then, you know, in there, that way we're not pulled back in to do the work they are being paid to do, <laughs> right? Um, so we don't have to be pulled back in. So the second stage is uh, you're managing, what well, first is you're managing yourself, you're managing me, then I'm managing methods or mechanics. And then we get to that third stage of working above your business. The key here is that everyone is managing the message. So we have me, methods, and message. Right. And we get there. There's three pieces to that. It is what are the value, the vision? What's the vision that everyone has? Have you expressed that vision to everyone or is it just don't they know? Aren't they don't they get it? You know, or do we even asking? Do we have an awareness of that? But does your team have the vision that have you expressed it and do they um, succumb to that or not succumb, but um, buy into that vision? Number two is what are the core values of your business? And these are different than your core values as an individual. Um, my first core value is faith, okay? And that doesn't mean that my business isn't faith forward because it is, but it's not a core value. It's not a principle of my business. Um, maybe that principle or that core value might be that you respond to people in 24 seconds, Okay. It's just a non-negotiable, but you have to know what those core values are so that your, your team can work towards those core values. If you keep them to yourself, or if you don't even know what they are, then everyone's just kind of running amok. We don't know what the standard is. We, we don't understand the standard. And the last piece of that, the third V in this third step, right? That being the message is your voice. Is it your voice? Have you clearly expressed to people how you want them to write emails, write texts, communicate with people? Um, do they use foul language and you don't want foul language? Um, or maybe you do. You know, you could be Grant Cardone and <laughs> use foul language. But does do they understand what your voice is? Do you use certain terms and phrases? How do you respond to someone who says that they've just lost a loved one? Do you say my gosh, you stop everything and, and have a few moments to, to dig deep into that? Or do you say, oh, I'm really sorry to hear about that, but I really need you to get me the stuff. Because if you don't share this with your team, your team could say that. And if you're listening and you said, wait a minute, what? I can't believe someone would say that. Well, they do. They do all the time because they don't know what your voice is. And you know you've won when someone says, when you get return a phone call or talk to someone and they say to you, you know, when I talk to your team members, it's just like talking to you. 
And you know that you've won there because now you don't have to be present all day long. And if we didn't put these systems together um, and these procedures and this vision and all of this together, then we would never have any franchises at all, right? We wouldn't have Walmart because Sam Walton can't walk around and you know, to make sure everybody's saying the right thing at the right time in all the places. Starbucks can't do it. McDonald's can't do it. So when you walk in, you expect that you walk into a Starbucks in one town and a Starbucks in another town, it feels like home because they all have the same voice. They all have the same vision. They all have the same core values. And they all say the same thing. I mean, that's what I love about the voice. You walk in McDonald's, they say, what can we get you? Or can we take your order, right? We take your order. When you walk into Starbucks, they say, what can we start? What can we start for you, right? That's the first thing that they start saying. And when you walk into Walmart, it's if Walmart, it's welcome to Walmart. But they all have, someone said, this is how we want to operate. So we need to do that too. Otherwise, we're just constantly conflicted with, oh, I wish they didn't say that. Oh, I don't want them to write this email. I wish they had checked their spelling. I wish they had not said that. So give them the tools so that they can feel empowered to manage that message with you in that third step, because that's everybody's managing the message. You're still the heart, but everyone's managing that message. And that allows you to go beyond if you choose to do so. Oh, yeah. Those are those are so essential. So you've, you've done two passes, Adam. Let's summarize. It's so important. I want to extract those four. Yep. So summarize real quick yep. from number, number one is. Me. Me. Number two. Right. This is the in. Right. Number two is methods or mechanics. And that's the on your business. Uh -huh. Number three is. Um, above your business. And this is where everyone manages the message. This is where your people go from enabled to empowered. And number four is beyond your business. Go create another one. Go be on the beach. <laughs> right? Spend time with your family. Well, it, part of what I teach is people are out there and their product is their lesson or their product is their coaching or their product is his widget. And I say, no, that's not your product. Your product is what happens. You know, you you. There's a result yeah, from that, and especially in the nonprofit world, we're successful with funding, with getting people on board, because we can identify the impact of what we do, and you know, creating a high yeah. culture. Like I'm a, as you know, a music conductor, and that's a high performing culture, and everybody understands all of those things you just identified, and that's built yeah. into culture but we don't we don't do that in others so i want to i want to highlight those that's, that's why i wanted to highlight those those are missing and we carry too much in our brains and then we expect people to read our mind uh, right right well and it's funny because when you and i were talking we were talking about the orchestration right because i play instruments as well and and i said you know we have to look at this in in this facet is that you own the symphony and your job is to bring people to the symphony, sell tickets, bring people to the symphony, tell the story, talk to the people, tell the story, bring people in a symphony. And so if you can visualize yourself, you know, they're walking in those grand doors, you know, all the doors and you're saying, welcome, welcome to this beautiful experience you're about ready to have. We are so excited. Close and you put on a little red top hat and you go, hold on. And with a flashlight, and you're going, hold on, let me find your seat for you. 
right? And then you're, and then you change your clothes again, and then you get up there and you're the conductor, right? And you're, and you're orchestrating this. And then when you point to someone in the woodwind section, they don't know that part. So you change your clothes and put on something black and go and sit there and say, well, they don't know this part. So I'm going to play that little part, but now there's no conductor and there's no symphony person and there's no anything else. And that's how I've always explained it, is you can't have beautiful music if you don't have this rock star, powerful team, you know, built around you so that people can have the best experience possible, not customer service. That's gone. Nobody cares about customer service. We care about customer experience. How did they feel after having worked with you? They walk out of that symphony, right? That event, they're like, you have to go to this event. It was the best event ever. If you don't have a system, the next person who comes in may not get the same experience. Yes. Yeah. Now, those four, those four steps. Now, the first one is me working on self. And I'd like to point out, you don't just do that and check it off and it's done. That's an ever, ever, that's, you're always, Jim Rohn used to say, work on yourself harder yeah. than you work on your business always. So I wanted to highlight yeah. those, those somewhat go simultaneously. That's and, the inner. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's an area. That's of, inner. That's the inner inner. Yeah. And, and, and of course, I think um, John Maxwell's the law of the lead. Your, your business cannot develop any further than your ability to lead it. And so we are influencers. Yeah. And, and you just give us so many great tidbits here. And just the, so if people are listening and listening, I mean, really listening, the last 10 minutes, that was worth the whole thing so, so far, but we got more to go. We got a, f a few more minutes left in this priceless time. So personal growth, what do you want to say? Um, about personal growth for those people that you work with. And um, you learned a lot. What propelled you to learn so much about personal growth? And then why is that important for people that, that are listening today? Yeah, well, I mean, I can only go from my story, right? My experiences. So, you know, my name's Jennifer. I go by Jen, never Jenny, <laughs> never Jenny. And that's because I was called Jenny who ain't got a penny. It was a nickname that my uncles gave me. And, you know, so I always carried a penny around in my shoe. And every time they said the joke, I pulled the penny out. Ha ha, I have one. But I didn't really understand the intent of it. Uh, until one day my uncle said to me, you know, Jenny, you're going to be just like your dad. You're going to be an alcoholic. You're going to be just like your mom and smoke. You're going to be just like your mom and dad and be verbal abuser. You're not going to amount to anything. And I realized, oh, that's the Jenny who ain't got a penny. Right. And there's another story behind that, that I don't want to share at this moment, but, um, that was the catalyst that said, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to prove to these people that I can be much, much more than Jenny who ain't got a penny. And so most of my life was proving until I had another trigger event, which was when I was, and at the time I was in mortgage lending and I was producing about 50 million a year in closed mortgage loans, which put me in the top 1% of 785,000 loan officers. So I was in the top 77,000 of people, right? And, uh, but I was working like a dog. I was just working all these long hours. We called our house hotel home because we would just show up at midnight, try to sleep. We were always worried about everything we didn't do, get up and do it all over again. And I wanted something better. And, and the cat was when I was um, at 
dinner. For those of you who are listening and not watching, I'm air quoting dinner with my family. And of course, my phone was on and it rang and I said, oh, my client needs me. I got to take this call. And there I was outside of the restaurant walking the concrete balance beam that we've all walked, right, as we're on the phone outside of places. And I looked in the window of the restaurant and my family was enjoying their lives, you know, laughing, um, just having a beautiful time. But I was never in them. I was never in those situations. And that was when I said, I'm done proving and I'm going to sing and I'm going to crack the code. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure out how I can do this volume in less time. And I set out on that. And again, part of that was I need to delegate all this work. I, I'm only one person. I don't have infinite energy. I don't have infinite time. But I realized and learned that time is infinite. And I can talk about that too. Time is absolutely infinite. And um, that's when I started setting it out. And to my surprise, two years later, I looked at all things that, how do I attract clients instead of chasing them? What are everything in every little, every modality of my business? And to my surprise, I got a plaque in the mail um, one year and I had elevated myself from the top 1% of loan officers up into the top 200 of a million loan officers. That's 0.003%, right? I was in the top 0.003%. And I had closed $102 million. I And I had no intent to do that. I just wanted to do 50 and give me some time. But what I had found is not only am I doing 102, I'm in the top 200 loan officers in the country, but I'm only working four days a week because I learned how to delegate to people to have them work in their genius zone so that I could work in my genius zone. And that that's when I realized, wow, there's so much more that I don't know. And I stumbled upon it, right? <laughs> but there's so much more that I don't know. And I had lots of management experience, lots of training. As a matter of fact, I trained other managers. So I had all of this leadership experience, but let me say it was management experience. I, I had just discovered what leadership really was. Wow. Wow. That's a powerful story. You know, there's, there's such great power in, in telling stories. Hmm. So yeah, uh, I got two more things. I want to, we're almost out of time, but, uh, uh, and I want to direct people to your website. So you've worked with leaders you know, inside those corporations, shoulder to shoulder. Since then, you've worked with leaders as their coach, their mentor, consultant. Um, what do you think it keeps leaders from achieving their their growth to to reach that happiness that they uh, they want so badly? Yeah, well, as I said before, I I think it's just it's a mindset. I do some other speaking on you know five keys to rapid success, and I think there's there's probably two pieces to this. One is um, still having a uh, an employee man mentality as opposed to a leadership mentality. Now, saying that, I think we're all leaders. I think we lead our families, we lead our cousins, we leave it lead our pups. Right? We're all leaders to some extent. But when someone is elevated from an employee position to a management position, 
or, uh, you know, is an employee and becomes an entrepreneur, we still have that employee mindset of the worker bee. And we really have to understand that our role is not to do the work as a manager, as a leader. Our role is to lead and inspire and create vision and, and then manage and, and provide feedback. But that's our role. Our role has changed. And you cannot have a business um, selling widgets. You know, if you were a great widget maker at a company and then now you're going to make a whole bunch of widgets, then you're just an employee at another company. So we have to realize that we're no longer employees. We are leaders, managers, owners, right? Entrepreneurs. So that's the increasing that awareness. This, and so then obviously our priorities are much different. Um, and I think that's that's one of the big things. I think the other thing is not seeking out mentors, people to look at, because mentors can accelerate. I always say this, we can, we can help you multiply your results in record time, or you can keep your results and take forever. Right? Uh, but that's what mentors do. And I, and I like using the word mentor because a mentor's been there. I've climbed that mountain. I've, I've seeked it all the way around. I know the good, the bad, the ugly of that mountain. And I can guide you up that mountain. Even if you're just one step ahead of everybody as a leader, you still know more than they do. And that's what leaders and mentors do for people. So don't be an island. Surround yourself with people that have experienced and are experiencing the same things and give to those that are beneath you, re learn from those that are above you and uh, don't do it on your own. It'll take too long. So surround yourself with mentors. That's, you know, successful seven figure people know that mentors will get them there faster. That right there is the secret. If you can embrace that now, let me, let me point out that's that's brilliant, Jen. That's brilliant. Let me point out there's a huge there's 180 de degree difference in mentoring and micromanaging. <laughs> and so what you talked about is <laughs> for right. leaders. Now for people to find you, it's your name, J E N D U E L E S S I S dot com. And when people go there, people watching can see it here. But on the on the listening side, what will people find when they go to your website? Um, well, they're going to find um, my podcast, obviously, they're going to find my podcast called, um, uh, oh my gosh, I just, <laughs> I just, I have so many things going on. <laughs> I can't believe it. Success to Significance, Life After Breaking Through Glass Ceilings, right? So you'll find that. And it's just stories of trials and tribulations that people have. Um, they'll find that. They'll find a little bit about my story. They can connect with me. Uh, you know, we have all of that information you know, on there. And um, that's, that's really what it is. It's a place for you to just connect with me. I'm not uh, one who is, you know, big on having my, my website tell everything about what I do, because um, I like personalizing and uh, making sure that people get exactly what they need from me. And, um, you know, I just had someone say to me, I don't see one of your masterminds on there. And I said, well, because I don't want everybody to be in that mastermind. I want to talk to people and find out what mastermind works best for them. So, um, so anyway, so yeah, you can go there and that's the best place to get me. So they can go to the contact page and they can, they can contact you and just be prepared when you contact Jen, it's going to, it's going to impact your life in a very profound way, which you've done already today. Jen, just, it's such an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your time. As we as we end this podcast, what thought or challenge or idea do you want to leave people with today? 
Yeah, I'm going to leave you with the quote that I leave with almost everything. And this has everything to do with the story I just told you. And, you know, for, for people having this beautiful, I call it a life of luxury. It's not a luxurious life, although we can make money and have luxury. But having a life of luxury is that you have the luxury of spending time with your family. You have the luxury of sleeping in. You have the luxury of doing what you want to do. And that's really what happens when you go beyond your business. And so I'll leave you with this quote that my mom always said, and it's this, we flatter those we scarcely know. We please the fleeting guests, but we deal many a thoughtless blow to those we love the best. And sometimes that best, that person we love the best is ourselves. We deal all these thoughtless blows. We put ourselves second instead of first. We don't have boundaries around the things that we want in our lives. We don't prioritize too many people um, time are trying to manage time. I can't even say it because I don't believe in managing time. Uh, so many people are trying to manage time instead of managing their priorities and making sure that they are a priority too. It's sort of put your mask on first and then help others. And that's what um, I've always believed is that should everybody name and uh, not my clients and under treat me and my family. Like I said in the rest story, right? Of I was taking care of my client first, but look what I was leaving behind. All those beautiful memories and those laughs, laughs and things that I wasn't part of. So don't do that to yourself. Go live a life of luxury. Wise words. Chin Duplessis, thank you for being our guest today on the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you for watching the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.